Let's open this morning to the book of Romans, this wonderful letter. I love preaching Romans. I love it. Don't know what I'm going to do when Romans is done. Sure, I'll love the next book, but Romans is a treat every week, just opening up the gospel, opening up this great doctrine that Paul has put into the letter here, writing to the church in Rome. He wants them to know the truth. He wants them to not be confused. He wants to encourage them. He can't yet get to see them. He will someday go see them, but he says, I'm writing this to you before I come. And so we are in Romans 10, and we're looking at, Paul has been telling us, and we're looking at this doctrine of Israel and God's plan with Israel and why, why Paul has Israel been rejected. And Paul says, actually, God still has promises to Israel. They're not rejected, but that's what people often think. And he says, first of all, in chapter 9, God hasn't chosen every single Jewish person to be saved. So that's one reason, Paul says, why they haven't all been saved. But another reason, and this is chapter 10, another reason is they are responsible to believe the gospel. They are responsible to believe the truth that they hear about Christ as the Savior. And they have not all believed. They are responsible for that. That is sinful. And Paul is opening up this in chapter 10. So I want to read to you Romans 10. We're going to go back to to, um, verse 13. And I'm going to read through verse 17. But today is the necessity of gospel preaching. That's the title of the sermon. The necessity of gospel preaching, Romans 10, 14 to 17. But let's get some context starting in verse 13 where we finished last week. We've been going verse by verse through Romans. So we pick up with this next paragraph here. For whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So that's where Paul ended his argument. And now he goes to a closely connected argument. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? How will they believe in him whom they have not heard? How will they hear without a preacher? How will they preach unless they are sent? Just as it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who proclaim good news of good things. However, they did not all heed the good news. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed our report? So faith comes from hearing, and hearing by the word of Christ. In the Middle Ages, the church at that time had taken the preaching in the pulpit and set it on the side. And that's why when you go in a lot of these old cathedrals, and you'll see the pulpit up a ways on the side somewhere, if there is one at all. Because in the center of their ceremony was all the rituals and the sacrifice and the mass and these things that they invented in the Middle Ages. But they made that prominent to the worship. The word was a short little snippet of a sermon, a homily, kind of off to the side as part of their service. What the reformers did, what Luther did, what Calvin did, is bring the preaching back front and center. Now, they couldn't always chop down the pulpit on the side over here and move it. But essentially, that's what they did. Spiritually speaking, they put the word back in front of the congregations. So as new church buildings were built, they would have a stage. They would have the pulpit right up in the center. And this carries on all the way down to our day. Protestant churches should should have the pulpit front and center as the word goes out. One of the reasons is because of what we see right here in this text. The word being preached is essential to the gospel being proclaimed. The word being preached is what the church should be doing with their ministry. And at least the, the primary ministry of the church should be the preaching and teaching of the word of God. In fact, Martin Lloyd-Jones got sent to a church in Wales. 
I believe it was in the 1930s. And all they had was a wooden stage. And that's where they would do different performances as part of the church service. And he said, chop it up and get rid of it. Build me a smaller stage and put the pulpit up there. I want to preach the word. And the secretary, which was a man back then, he said, what do I do with all that wood? He said, you put it in the heater underneath the church and we'll burn it all up. That's where it needs to go anyway. Make the word be the fire that heats up the room in the church. Well, Paul now is talking about the preaching of the word. He's been talking about faith and what is faith. He's been talking about how to receive this righteousness of God that the Jews were all looking for. They're looking for the righteousness of God, but they're trying to work for it. They're trying to earn it. They're trying to be a good person and maybe God will let me into heaven kind of idea. And Paul says that's not at all the way the gospel works. There's only one way of salvation and it's through faith in Christ. And so that's what he's been talking about here. And he comes to that in verse 13. If you call upon him, if you have faith and call upon him, you will be saved. That's a New Testament preaching, but it's also in the Old Testament. And that's why he cites the Old Testament as well. Now in verse 14 through 17, he really opens up how people hear this gospel message. So I want to show to you this morning three facts here. Three facts about gospel preaching that must be understood. So that we can have a biblical view of God's salvation message. We need to understand why preaching is important. We need to understand the context that Paul is talking about here with regards to the Jews. And now apply that forward to our church, to our time, to our day as well. Because the gospel hasn't changed. And the means by which God has designed the gospel to go out has not changed. We think it has sometimes, but it actually hasn't. Three facts about gospel preaching. First of all, in verses 14 and 15, the conditions of the gospel faith. The conditions. If we get these conditions wrong, then we're going to have a lot of trouble in Christianity, which we've already seen. If we try to go around God's way of doing this, we're going to see the church move in the wrong direction and no longer have the gospel. What I mean by conditions here is that there's a chain of events that must happen in order for a person to call upon the Lord. These are Paul's teachings here. These are Paul's conditions, Paul's events, but they're the Lord's given to Paul to teach. He's going to go about teaching us this with four rhetorical questions in verses 14 and 15. He's going to just lay these out rhetorically. The answer is an obvious yes. That's what he wants people to see when they read this, when they hear this. The the obvious answer is they need these things to be saved. And these link up. There's a chain of events happening here. Some have called this the golden chain of evangelism. Because this has to happen, and then next this has to happen, and next this has to happen, so that a person can be saved. So Paul's going to list them, but it's in a reverse order that we would normally think of. Normally, we would start with the preaching, and then go all the way down to the person who believes. He's been talking about the person who believes, and so he's going to go backwards to the preaching and who sends the preacher. So verse 14, how then will they call on him whom they have not believed? This is his first question. And there's four, four questions, but there's really five links in the chain here. The first is call upon him. In verse 13, he mentions that they have to call upon the Lord. They have to turn from their sin and call upon the Lord. Confess him as God. Have faith in the Lord. Call upon him and they will be saved. 
Claim him as your savior, in other words. Repent, confess. Confess not just your sins, but confess Jesus as Lord. And no one, Paul says, can do that unless they have faith. You have to believe. Your heart has to have been changed. We know from other teaching in the Bible that the Holy Spirit changes a heart. But from our perspective, we have to believe before we can call out to God, so we can call out to Him to be saved. So you must have faith. That's what it means to believe. Not just the basic knowledge of the facts. We looked at this last week. It's not just saying, oh yeah, I understand the facts of the gospel. It's not just an assent that that's true. All, many of us grew up in Christian homes where we said, oh yeah, amen, Jesus, Savior, he, he died on the cross for sinners. But you have to have personal faith in him, a commitment, a trust. You're willing to put yourself into his hands the rest of your life and for eternity, a full trust, a full commitment. You have to confess and believe that he will save you, that he will carry you through, that he will stand in your place, that he will be your foundation, your rock. That the Lord will not punish you on judgment day because of the righteousness of Christ. That he is the sacrifice for your sins. That he was raised on the third day. That he is the son of God. Salvation is calling upon the Lord Jesus. And having faith in him is a condition for doing that. Now we look at the next step. So that first question wouldn't surprise most of us. We expected that, especially after the previous paragraph. But now... Paul is getting more controversial for the Jews of his day and unfortunately for many Christians today. The next question, how will they believe in him whom they have not heard? How will they believe if they haven't heard anything about this person, Jesus Christ? To believe in Christ as Lord and Savior, a person must hear the good news. They have to hear the good news. They have to hear the gospel. Who Christ is, what he has done. Verse 9 tells us that the person who confesses Jesus as Lord, Jesus as God, Jesus as God, and raised him from the dead. They must believe that he was raised from the dead. That person will be saved. They have to hear at least that, don't they? Who is this Jesus? It's not simply have faith, goodbye, see you later. But who is this Jesus? And according to scripture, what does the Bible say about Jesus? Tell us about this raised from the dead. That is the gospel that must be proclaimed. And that's really the most controversial so far in this paragraph. Maybe the most controversial for some Christians today. They don't want to believe this, that a person has to hear the gospel to be saved. There's an emphasis today on dreams and visions and God speaking personally to people. Where is the emphasis on the word of God? Because Paul doesn't include that. And that was still happening in his day. In fact, Paul's on the road to Damascus and he gets the vision of Jesus. He sees Jesus right there, the resurrected Jesus, the glory. And he was blinded and he was converted. But he doesn't talk about that. He doesn't say look for dreams and visions. He doesn't say look for God to speak to you. He says you must hear it to believe. Sure, God worked in various extraordinary, miraculous ways. We see that in the Old Testament. We see that in the New Testament. We would not deny that. We would never want to deny that. But Paul is saying from this point forward, we are expecting. In fact, it's necessary that God work through the preaching of the word for people to be saved. And preaching means they're going to hear the word. The book of Hebrews talks about this. 
that God, this is how the book starts. God, having spoken long ago to the fathers in the prophets in many ways and many portions. There are various ways that God spoke to people in the Old Testament. He showed up. Sometimes it was the angel of Yahweh. Sometimes he sent an angel to talk to them. Sometimes God spoke directly. Sometimes he spoke out of a burning bush. Sometimes he parted the Red Sea. Sometimes it was in the pillar of fire. So the writer of Hebrews recognizes that. But in these last days, the last days are what? From the time that Christ has come, delivered the message, died on the cross and was raised again and now tells his disciples to go. In these last days, he spoke to us in his son, whom he appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the worlds. There's a speaking. He spoke. There's an emphasis on words here. Jesus is speaking through his people as the gospel goes out. And this is right here, by the way, in Romans 10, 14. Romans 10, 14. I, I said to you when I started this question, I read it the correct way. And then I was emphasizing the idea that we have to hear something about Jesus. But look at what the question actually says. How will they believe in him whom they have not heard? Yes, we have to hear something about Christ. But this verse here is actually emphasizing not heard of, but heard him. He is the subject of the verb heard. How can they call on him and believe in him that they've not heard? And the idea is heard from. It is Jesus speaking in the gospel. That's how God speaks to us today, through his word. And it's saying, Paul is saying here, that Jesus speaks when the gospel is proclaimed. Through the people, not as if it's his voice, but it's his message. It's his message going through his appointed preachers to take the gospel to the world. It does not say heard of, but him whom they have not heard. Christ speaks through the gospel. And Paul's saying you cannot believe in Christ unless you have first heard him through the gospel. What this means for you today, if you're an unbeliever in the room, what this means is when a preacher faithfully preaches the word, Faithfully is key, of course. Faithfully preaches the word of Christ. And you reject it, unbeliever. You're not rejecting the preacher. You're rejecting Christ. Because Christ is through that word. He is speaking through that word to you. Believer. When he is preaching the word. The preacher is up there preaching the word. As long as it's stuck to the text. As long as it's an exposition of the text. That's the Lord speaking to you. Through the preacher. Jesus speaks through the preaching of his word. He is the preacher preaching through the human preacher. Jesus' first sermon ever preached. The first words that he says, if you have a red letter Bible, it's the first red letters in the gospel of Mark. Do you know what it was? It was not, God loves you and has a plan for your life. It was not, be a good person. It was, The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Now, I'm sure there were plenty of people who heard Jesus say those words that did not like what he said. I mean, come on, the Messiah shows up. You expect us to believe this guy's the Messiah and he's not blessing us. He's not speaking happy words, making us leave church feeling good. He's telling us to repent of our sins and believe in the gospel. Jesus is the preacher. Jesus was the preacher through his 
years of ministry, those last three years, he's the preacher preaching today through the preachers that take out the gospel. So you need to hear something. You need to hear Jesus through the gospel. Not literally hear him, but hear the words that he told his disciples to take out to the world. The words that are recorded in the New Testament here of the gospel message. The next question, the next condition here. How will they hear without a preacher? What's this hearing about? Well, there has to be someone preaching the word. To call upon Jesus, a person must have faith. That faith results in them, that faith results from them hearing something that they then believe. And how do they hear it? They hear it from a gospel preacher. The gospel, the good news, a message about Christ. His message to the world that he died for sinners, that he was raised again for sinners, that anybody who believes in him has their sins wiped away and his righteousness put on their account. That is what preaching should be about. A preacher. This, this word preacher has now come up for the first time here in Romans. And the Greek word is keruso. It means simply to announce in a formal way. To announce in a formal or official manner And often this was done in ancient times by means of a herald. Uh, The king would send a herald to each village announcing the birth of his son. Uh, Or maybe a new emperor would arise in the empire. And the herald would go from place to place announcing the new emperor. His name, who he is, the family he's from, any new laws that he's brought as he's come up to be the emperor. The herald, though, does not change the king's message. The herald doesn't have a right To change the message one iota. Not one iota. He cannot change the message of the king. He gets the message from the king. It's the king's message. He then goes and he takes the message to the people. And if he changes it, he's out. Right? In ancient times, he's going to lose his head. Too many preachers today change God's word. They don't preach the gospel. There's other faithful churches. We're not the only true church in the world. There's a lot of faithful churches in the world, even in San Antonio, but there is also a lot of wrong preaching, non-gospel, bad teaching churches. And nowadays, they put it on TV so everybody can see it. Millions can see that all around the world and on the internet. The Bible must be proclaimed. The preacher is to preach the scriptures. The Bible must be opened up and taught. I once heard a man, and don't count, don't, don't time me on this, but I once heard a man who said that the longer it takes a preacher from his opening to the point he gets in the Bible, the less of a Bible preacher he is. So I try to do that within the first five minutes. I read you the text, right? Steve Lawson taught us in seminary, just read it at the beginning, go ahead and get the word up front, and then explain it and apply it. The Bible must be proclaimed. It must be open. There must be heart application from the scriptures as the preacher is preaching. And that cannot happen until the passage is explained or the gospel is opened up and explained to the people. You can't just say the word gospel and expect that everybody knows everything they need to know. They need to be taught. It needs to be proclaimed. Now, for someone to believe the gospel, the word must be preached. That's what Paul is saying here. And by the way, this is all they had in the first century. This is all they had. There weren't even recorded sermons to listen to. You couldn't download John MacArthur's sermons on your iPod. They just had preaching. You could hardly get a Bible. A church would have a Bible, an Old Testament. Maybe a few letters of Paul had been passed around and copied by this point. 
but it was very expensive. You had to pay scribes to do that. And it would take months and even years to write out manuscripts and put the Bible together. So the individual, unless they were very wealthy, would not necessarily have a Bible. You went to church because that might be the only place you could hear God's word proclaimed. The word must be preached. Many Christians hear this verse today and they immediately start thinking of exceptions, right? Well, I wasn't saved hearing the word preached. Although people, of course, can be. They might say, well, I was reading the Bible. Amen. I'm glad that you're saved reading the Bible. What is the Bible? Really, it's preaching of God by his prophets and apostles in the scriptures. And just take the New Testament. We have the accounts, the gospel accounts of Jesus, including Jesus' sermons. And then when Jesus isn't talking, the writer, his disciple, Matthew, Mark, which is working under a disciple, John, they're commenting and teaching us about Jesus. So they're essentially, in a sense, they're preaching as well. Now, all the letters, Paul's letters, James, Peter, that's essentially what they would preach when they went to churches. And instead of going and being at that church, they would send a letter that sort of maybe is a whole sermon series packed down into a letter. The prophets in the Old Testament, all the way back to Moses, who was a prophet, is preaching a message. Trust in the Lord, follow him. Look to his Messiah. Trust in the Lord. So you're still saved reading the Bible from the preaching that God has put in the Bible. Well, what about the internet? What about reading a Christian book? What about listening on YouTube to a Justin Peters video? Amen. Praise the Lord that's out there. There's so much good stuff out there, right? We should be embarrassed when we don't even know and understand the Bible and theology when there's so much out there. But what is that but preaching and teaching that is going out from those sources? John MacArthur's sermons or commentaries or, or Beaky and Smalley's systematic theology. These are items that these men have preached and then put into book format. The commentator Barry Horner says there must be preaching. As Paul now makes clear, dare we suggest then that in these most recent centuries of an abounding printed page, with ready acknowledgement of the great blessings the literature distribution has brought through missionary outreach, yet preaching of that printed word must have the greater prominence. It's not to say, and God's not saying here that you can't read the Bible and be saved. Our friend can't tell you what is in the Bible and be saved, but it always comes back to the Bible, right? Preaching the Bible, the word goes out. That is the main means, the main emphasis of the New Testament church. And we are still to make that the main emphasis of the New Testament church today. Of course, look to the Bible, hand out Bibles. Now we can, we can buy them and produce them and hand them out. And people should have the word to read. As long as they're saved is what matters. But God has ordained that it comes through his word. And we shouldn't move away from that. That's the point. The gospel here is the means by which people are saved. God is designated for the gospel to go out into the world. And it starts right here from the scriptures. And then it goes out. Preaching is necessary for the gospel to go out and for people to believe. This is huge really for missions. Huge implications for missions. What is a missionary? Well, it should be someone who takes the word out, right? Whether it's here or overseas. And really, we think of missions as somebody going to another culture, another place. We should support, in other words, and train up those who go and take the word. Especially men who preach the word. 
We support missionaries here who are either church planting, preaching the word, or training up people in that country to do the same. That's our main emphasis. It's not to say we don't support other ministries. We do. We're having a, a baby bottle drive right now. But our main focus, our main emphasis is for the word, the gospel to get out around the world. And it's also the same with local evangelism. This has huge implications for missions and for church planting. A church planter is not just a businessman. They're not a TED Talk guy. They're not just a nice guy that everybody wants to come hang out with. The church planter has to be able to preach the word. This has huge implications for the kind of church that you're looking for. If you ever move from here or maybe you're just visiting here, we've had a lot of visitors lately. What do we look for in a church? Do we just look for good friendships? Do we just look for nice people or good coffee? Do we just look for a nice building? What do we look for? What's the main emphasis? The latest music, the richest people? What are we looking for? First, the word must be preached. If the word's not preached, get out of that place. It's just something else. It's not a church. All right, continuing here, still with the conditions. Number one is the longest point. Verse 15, he, he gives us the next one. And how will they preach unless they are sent? How will they preach unless they're sent? How can preachers go out unless they are sent out? And sometimes we think this verse has in mind churches sending out missionaries. And a lot of times you'll hear that this is the missionary text. And I would love it for that if that's the case. It's not though. You have to look elsewhere for that. You see examples in Acts like we read today, Acts 13. Paul and Barnabas were sent out by the church. And then the next verse, sent out by the Holy Spirit. This verse, though, is not talking about churches sending. Here, in verse 15, Paul is emphasizing a divine sending out. That God is the one sending the preacher. That God is the one sending a person out to proclaim the word. The preacher here is an ambassador. He's a herald of the king. He's taking the king's message and he's being sent somewhere. He's being sent out to proclaim the gospel. In fact, the word for sent in Greek is apostello. We get the word in English, apostle. And the word in Greek is connected, apostolos. An apostle is a sent one. They're a messenger. But in the case of Christianity, an apostle was one designated by Christ to be sent out. And not only to confirm their message with miraculous signs, but to proclaim that gospel. And then they pass that to the next generation, which are the elders and pastors of a church. And they keep taking that gospel and preaching down through the ages. So God must send the man. It's not a man's message, though. It's God's message. Too many times today, it's man's message going out from the pulpit and not God's message. He's the one who sends. It's his message there to go with. And now Paul backs this up with the Old Testament. He, he's quoting here, saying, this is in the Old Testament, the Bible of his day, just as it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who proclaim good news of good things. Isaiah 52, 7. God is going to send a messenger, a proclaimer, a preacher to tell the good news. And this was spoken of in the Old Testament. In the context of Isaiah, this is speaking of a proclaimer who would be on the mountains around Jerusalem, proclaiming that God has the final victory. That God has defeated all the enemies of the Jews. He has wiped them out on the last day. And this is the good news that God saves, that God saves. And Paul says that kind of preaching is happening in his day. It's happening today. Let me read to you the original from Isaiah. Paul just 
quotes part of it, but the whole verse, how lovely are the mount- on the mountains are the feet of him who proclaims good news, who announces peace and proclaims the good news of good things, who announces salvation and says to Zion, your God reigns. Paul is backing up this promise that God made to send preachers. Yes, Isaiah is looking further into the future than we're even at now. But the point is, Paul's saying, is that God is going to send preachers. It's ultimately that preachers that are needed for the people to come to saving faith in Jesus Christ. God sends the preacher. He gives them the message. In other words, people can't say, and the Jews of Paul's day can't say, well, yes, we've got to hear Paul, but who are we going to hear from? Nobody's come. And Paul says, I'm here. By the way, Paul is a preacher. And God is sending out preachers so that they can hear. We'll look at this next week. But, but the reason he's covering this is because he's going to make the case they've heard the gospel and they've rejected it. They've heard it. They can't say, well, God didn't send somebody. Because he did. And they've heard it and they rejected it. Not everybody, of course, has heard. But a lot of those different areas and synagogues that Paul has gone to has heard. They have not believed. It's not God's fault, but it's man's fault for hearing and not believing. Because God has sent preachers. He has said he would do it, and he has done it, and he continues to do it today. Okay, point number two, the second fact here. So we looked at the conditions. There's a link in a chain. How does a person believe? They've got to hear. How do they hear? A preacher is sent. How's the preacher sent? Well, God does the sending. But Paul gives us the contrast here, the results of the gospel proclaimed in verse 16. The results. When the the gospel goes out and it's heard, not everyone believes. Believing is the only way of salvation. Trusting in Christ is the only way of salvation, but not everybody believes. Not everyone has faith when they hear the gospel. In verse 16, however, he says, it's a contrast with what he just said. However, they did not all heed The good news. He's speaking about Israel in his day. He's saying only a few believe. This is his way of saying, all the ones who've heard, only a few believed in Christ. They did not all heed the gospel, the the good news that went forth. To heed means to obey. Literally means to obey. They did not obey the gospel as they heard it. Now, we typically think of obedience as coming after salvation, right? After justification, after saving faith. You get saved, you're you're justified in Christ through faith alone, in Christ alone. And then you begin to produce good fruit through obeying the commands that God has given us to live by. But sometimes in the Bible, you see obedience used to describe how we should respond to the message that goes out. The message is repent and believe. And those aren't suggestions that Jesus gives. Those aren't just, if you feel like it today, you should repent and believe. No, it's a command from God, the creator God of the universe saying, you must repent and believe. You must. And so Paul says they did not obey that message. This is Paul's mission that he stated at the very beginning of his letter. Go back to Romans 1.5. He's talking about his calling how the Lord has made him an apostle. He's going to take the gospel out. And in chapter 1, verse 5, he's speaking of Jesus Christ, our Lord, through whom we received grace and apostleship. So the Lord has appointed Paul personally. For what purpose? 
for the obedience of faith among all the Gentiles for the sake of his name. That's the beginning of the book. You go all the way to the end of the book, chapter 16. Chapter 16, verse 26. He, he mentions the same thing. Second to last verse in your Bible there. Romans 16, 26. But now is manifested and by the scriptures of the prophets, according to the commandment of the eternal God. So this is a commandment that God has given. It's coming even from the prophets in the Old Testament. And he says, it has been now made known to all the Gentiles, leading to obedience of faith. We cannot earn our salvation through obeying God's commands. But there is one command we must obey if we're going to be saved. And that is believe upon Jesus Christ. It's not just a nice little option, but it's actually the command of God. He wants everyone to believe. The Bible says that he wants people to trust in his son. We know he hasn't decreed that. We, we studied election in chapter 9. But the gospel goes out and people are called to respond. And Jesus doesn't give five different options. He gives one option. Repent and believe. It's the same option. Two sides of the same coin. Repent, believe. They go together. And that's what Paul's talking about. They did not obey that message that went out. 2 Thessalonians 1.8 says they'll be judged for that. When the Lord Jesus will be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, dealing out retribution to those who do not know God, so they don't truly know God in a saving way. And then he also describes it, and to those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. I think in that verse he's talking about Gentiles who've never even heard the gospel, but they're judged for their sin, as all people are. People go to hell for their sin. And the Jews who heard the gospel and knew that people go to hell for their sin and still rejected Christ, which is a great sin. They did not obey that which they knew was in the Bible, and they rejected it. Well, to show this, he now quotes from the Old Testament, as Paul always does. He, he uses the Bible to proclaim his message. So he says in Isaiah 53, 1, and he brings this forward, for Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed our report? Who has believed our report? Who has believed the message? What message is Isaiah talking about? Well, if you go to Isaiah 3, you're probably familiar with it, right? I'll just start it for you. Here's the message that the Jews didn't believe. And Isaiah is saying they won't believe. It's the substitutionary death of Christ. Isaiah 53, 2. For he grew up before him like a tender shoot, like a root out of parched ground. He has no stately form or majesty that we should look upon him nor appearance that we should desire him. He was despised and forsaken of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And like one from whom men hide their face, he was despised and we did not esteem him. It's the classic Isaiah 53, the gospel in Isaiah, the gospel in the Old Testament, that God's going to send a sacrifice, the Messiah, who's going to be sacrificed for our sins. And Isaiah starts off by saying they don't believe this report. The majority of Israel and Paul's day and now does not believe. And the majority of Gentiles, you could add as well, do not believe. Yes, there are many Christians around the world. Praise the Lord. There will be multitudes in heaven. But compared to all the people that exist right now, Christianity, true Christianity is a small fraction in the world. They did not heed. They did not obey. These are 
one of the results anyway of the gospel. There's another result to believe, and Paul focuses on that elsewhere. But here he's saying there are some who will reject it. There are some who will hear it. Many will hear the gospel and reject it. This should not surprise us. Have you ever been in a church? Maybe you have. I've been in churches when I was first a Christian who said, if somebody doesn't believe, it's your fault. You didn't say it the right way. You didn't pressure them the right way. You didn't use our evangelistic method. And they put the guilt on you, right? Do you want to be responsible if they go to hell? Was kind of the idea. We're called to take the word to people and do the best job of that that we can. And then after that, it's up to God. That's what Jesus teaches on the parable of the soils, not the sower. Well, let's look at that briefly in Luke chapter 8. There's really two different results. Paul focuses here on the ones who reject the gospel. And Jesus says there's four kinds of soils, but he's talking about the same two groups that Paul is talking about. He just goes into the unbelieving group in more detail. It's the parable of the soils. It's not the parable of the seed. It's not the parable of the sower. It's not the parable with the idea that you need to change what kind of soil you are. This is spoken to the disciples, preparing them for what is to come when they take the gospel out. And it's the parable of the soils. Let's look at Luke 8, 11, where Jesus explains the parable here. Now, the parable, he says, is this. The seed is the word of God. That's it. Then after this, he's going to talk about the, the effects that happen with the seed in different soils. The seed's the word of God. He doesn't say that you have to do something with the seed, that you have to modify the seed, that you have to genetically engineer the seed. He doesn't say any of that. The seed's the word of God. Go spread it around. Go throw it everywhere. Throw it everywhere. He doesn't say even look for these different soils. Just go throw it out. See what happens. Go throw the seed out. Next verse. Verse 12. And those beside the road are those who have heard. They heard. Then the devil comes and takes away the word from their heart. So they will not believe and be saved. So this first type here. This first type of soil is the hardened heart. The seed comes on them and nothing happens. There's no growth. They've got a hardened heart. The devil has stolen the seed away before it penetrates into the soil. Verse 13, and those on the rock are those who, when they hear, receive the word with joy. And these have no root. They believe for a while and in time of temptation fall away. Now, some folks read this and they say, well, here's where the believers start. And there's different types of believers on the rest of these soils. No, they believed in the sense that they said, Amen, it's true, we, we love Jesus. And then the first temptation that came along, they're done, they're gone. They turned away. This is the shallow heart. There's the hardened heart, and then there's the shallow heart. The seed seems to have taken root, but actually if you were to pull it up, there's no root there. It seems like something's happening, but there's no root. And then verse 14. The seed which fell among the thorns, different type of soil here, it's thorny soil. These are the ones who have heard, and as they go on their way, they're choked with worries and riches and pleasures of life and do not bear ripe fruit. This is the distracted heart. Too distracted, too distracted. Oh, Jesus is great. Add him as a cherry on top to my life. Moving on. 
and the riches and the pleasures of the world. We, we've, we've known people like this, haven't we? People who seem to be Christians, and then they drift away. And whether they say it or not, they're not living as Christians. They're not living for the Lord. They're not true, genuine believers. But then lastly, we see the regenerated heart, don't we? In verse 15, but the seed in the good soil. These are the ones who've heard the word in an honest and good heart because it's been regenerated. The Holy Spirit has changed their heart. It's an honest and good heart and they hold it fast. That's the key. They hold the word fast. That's saving faith and they bear fruit with perseverance. Four soils, but really just two groups, right? Unbelievers and believers. And with the unbelievers, there's three different types of soils. The point is, don't try to change your soil. I mean, obviously, if you realize you're a bad soil, right? Trust in the Lord and let him do his work in your heart. But this is to the disciples. And his disciples began questioning him as to what the parable was meant. What's the meaning here? And the meaning is, you're going out to spread the seed, and you need to know not everybody's going to believe. And of those who don't believe, there's different kinds of unbelief that you need to look for here. And don't be fooled by it, he's saying. So back to Romans 10, God held the Jews responsible for hearing the gospel. He held them responsible and they rejected it. They heard it and they willfully chose to turn away from the only way of salvation. You can say they were the hardened soil. They would not believe. All right, the third fact. So we've looked at the conditions of the gospel faith. We've looked at the results and Paul focuses on those who rejected the gospel as one of the results. Now we're looking at the content of the gospel message. The content of the gospel message. Paul just summarizes it in a short statement. Verse 17. However, he's just adding more about this. He's not just summarizing, but adding one more small bit here I want to focus on, which is the content. So faith comes from hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. Now, we read that and think, yeah, of course. But he hasn't said the word of Christ. That's a new thing that he's now describing the gospel as. Obviously, it is the word of Christ. But this is a new phrase, the word of Christ. The rhema, not the logos, but the rhema, the spoken word. The word that goes out is Christ speaks through the gospel. That's how they hear. They hear the word of Christ. Not just his word, though. No, it's literally in the Greek here, it's the word about Christ. It's the word about Christ. They hear about the Lord. They believe because they've heard something about Jesus that they do believe in. The word of Christ is what's needed for the gospel to be preached. It's not man's word. It's not some made-up gospel light. We don't need to dress up the gospel. It's the word of Christ. It's the word that Christ has given us about himself. It's hard to preach the word, but it's not hard to know what he told us to preach. It's right here in the Bible. Now, it's hard to bring it out and exegete it and learn the languages and learn hermeneutics and theology, and that takes work and that takes time and practice and all of that. But we don't have to guess at the message he wanted us to take. It's recorded for us. It's right here in the Bible. We don't just throw out the gospel because it's some old stuffy, you know, your church is a dry church and they sing those old hymns and they just preach fire and brimstone. I just want to preach what Jesus said 
You can call it what you want, but I have nowhere else to go. Like if I go anywhere else to make up a gospel, it's a false gospel. Let's put a little bit of application on the end here. Hopefully there's been application throughout, but I just want to touch on a, a few things here. Maybe some of you in the room have been called to, you feel like, be a missionary. And this touches your heart here. Or maybe you're just thinking how this applies to missions. And you want to support missionaries, and we love that here. You need to consider that. Think about what is a missionary according to the Bible. Not what has the world defined a missionary as. And there's lots of good deeds that can be done that don't need the term missionary stuck on the front of it. It's just a good deed for people. There's nothing wrong with feeding the homeless. Nothing wrong with digging wells for people who don't have wells. But what is missions according to this text? And what kind of missionaries should we support? And maybe your friend or family member is a missionary, but they're not really the kind that sticks with the word. What kind of missionary are you? Also, we need to support. Here's, here's a main application. We need to support preaching and preachers. Not Martin Lloyd-Jones' book, which is called Preaching and Preachers. That's a great book, by the way. We need to support preachers and preaching. We should never think that giving that goes to the church should be primarily put somewhere else. It should be put, and this is the way godly churches do it. At least half of the money in most churches goes to the staff. That's biblical. In fact, they're not even paying rent or a mortgage or buying buildings in the New Testament yet. Not because it's wrong. They just haven't got to that point yet. They're being persecuted. But Paul does talk about supporting those who labor in preaching and teaching. Those who labor. And the labor is the toil there. The 15 to 20 hours that goes with making a sermon. Now, I'm thankful here that that's always been the case at our church. We haven't had to worry about that. The preaching was set forth from the beginning as a main priority. But as we think about other churches, as we think about young men going into ministry, as we think about training men, like we have our our three seminary students already here training, we need to support preachers and preaching. Now maybe, maybe there's a man sitting here who thinks that he's called to preach and he hasn't made it known yet. And maybe a message like this makes you think about what is preaching. And maybe you're asking, should I go into preaching? Or maybe you've already told everybody that, but you've never assessed your abilities and assessed what the Bible says about it. Maybe you have a desire, and that's good. Man, if you have a desire, amen. But it has to be confirmed by the church. It has to be confirmed by your leaders and by the church. That's the way God has designed it. There's an aspiration to the office, 1 Timothy 3, 1. And there's a confirmation by the church. We saw that, didn't we, in Acts 13. I'm saying it's a providential reading today. Acts 13, Paul and Barnabas, the Spirit says, set them apart. And then the elders said, we're going to set you apart. Because they saw the gifting that Paul and Barnabas had. Here's how Lloyd-Jones explains the call to preaching. He says, preaching is never something that a man decides to do. What happens, rather, is that he becomes conscious of a call. He goes to give five elements, Lloyd-Jones does, of this call. What is it? It's a, it's a conscious, uh, consciousness within the human spirit. This, this idea of a desire. Secondly, it's an encouragement from others. That's your local church affirming that you have this ability, or at least they see some kernel of it. Number three, a concern for others. 
Spurgeon would go on to say, if you haven't converted anybody, then don't even worry about going into ministry. I think Spurgeon went a little too far. The idea is you should at least have a desire for the lost to be saved. You may not be street preaching yet. You may not be evangelizing on the streets. You may not be even seeing a lot of fruit from your ministry, but you have a desire for that. Number four, Lord John says, a, const, a constraint or compulsion. That's the idea. It must be done. The idea that if I do anything else in my life, I'm not going to feel like I'm doing God's calling. Right? I heard Al Martin once say, if you can go dig ditches and be happy rather than preach, then do that. Because the preacher needs to say, that's all that I can do that God has called me to do and that I will enjoy and that I will feel like I'm doing God's will. Number five, the last one, a sense of unworthiness. A sense of unworthiness. He, go on, he goes on to say, a man who feels he is competent, that he can do this so easily, he's never been called. The man who is called by God realizes the awfulness of the task that he shrinks from it. So there's some considerations if you're listening today and you feel like you might be called to ministry. We all need to take away from this, though, even if you're not a preacher, and most of us in this room are not preachers, we need to know how important preaching is. God ordained it. God created it. God sends preachers. God calls preachers. And that's so the gospel can go out. So let's pray that he would continue to do that here and even raise up, raise up some of those faithful preachers among us. Oh Lord, you are so good, given us a clear message, a clear gospel. You've not left us in the dark. We don't have to invent something that appeals to people. We just need to be faithful, stay faithful to your word. Help us to do that, Lord. Help us to not stray away, but to stay planted on the gospel and make use of the means by which you have proclaimed, you have told us that the gospel should go out. We pray, Lord, that the, if there's any men here who feel the call, that they would make that known to their church leaders. They would vet that, that they would sort that out in their life. And we pray, Lord, that you would continue to raise up faithful preachers, continue to raise up men who go out, whether that's on the street corner, whether that's in the various areas of this world and missionaries or in the local church. Lord, you are good. And we love preachers and preaching here. So we pray that you would do your work among us. In Jesus' name, amen.